Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph. Joining me tonight are Gareth, Milo, and gimme, gimme, gimme is Simon from Sweden. Simon, how are you? Woo, woo, gimme, gimme, gimme is Sweden, called Simon. <laughs> and hello, Gareth. Hello, Milo, as I say. How are you guys? How is everyone? Good. I'm not singing my intro. Evening, Jäger. Thanks. Very hot. <laughs> You're not singing your intro. Simon's from Sweden and Gareth is hot. That's the pod we've got lined up for you this week. Hot Gareth, non-singing Milo and Swedish Simon and of course me, Steph. And this week we will be taking our usual summer preseason sweep of the week that was and the transfer rumours around before diving into our sporting director, Fabio Paratici's first year in the job for Tottenham. We'll be analysing various aspects of his approach and work. What we won't be doing is a season review via Fabio. Uh, I know that Simon was enthusiastic from the start, while many of us, uh, well, me especially, was certainly of the jury's out, give him time mentality. So it's time for The Game Is About Glory to bring the jury in and tell you what we think about Fabio's first year. But uh, should we start with the week that was? Yeah. Seems like the best place to start. I suppose it does. And uh, I suppose before we get into the real news this week, uh, let's just ask the question. Have we all signed up with Spurs play? And if we have, what have we been watching? So, yeah, I signed up and I've watched the, uh, the there's a Gary Mabbitt. There's like a legend section on there. So it's about 12 and a half minute video with Gary Mabbitt that fo- that focused on a lot of the work he's been doing for the foundation, where he's called a, a heck of a lot of older fans during the lockdown period mm. as well. Uh, a good, a, a, a very brief, I mean, they did, they covered a lot within 12 minutes, really, but um, very good, just chronology of his Spurs career, starting from when he signed from us, from Bristol Rovers in 1982, going through the 84 UEFA Cup win and lifting the 91 FA Cup as captain as well. Excellent, excellent. I have not. I'm still waiting to hear more from uh, Richard Friends telling me if it's worth it or not. Uh, I probably will, though. Uh, but let's see what's happened. Yeah, I signed up. Uh, watched the Conte. Was it two hundred two hundred and two? The Conte doc, and um, which I thought was all right. And I today I watched. They've got a, a weekly or no biweekly news um, program called Extra Time, which was pretty lightweight. But um, I, I think um, I'm looking forward to watching the friendlies on it this week. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the the big the big hook for all of us, isn't it? We're going to be able to keep up with the uh, with the youth uh, system a lot more, uh, which is really important. And as you say, these friendlies, it's going to be nice to see. I think we're all going to appreciate the the, the full match replays. That's going to be a great thing. No no question of access to those. And uh, I, yeah, I watched the Antonio one uh, like you did, Milo. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a nice it was a nice little season review with Antonio's uh, mm. very calm and soothing voice. Um, and it just give it just gave gave me another chance to enjoy uh, the Arsenal match again. Was there was there any any like additional behind the scenes photo or was it just kind of that interview quite, reviewing the season? It's quite safe. It's yeah. quite I safe. Mean, there's a little bit of that, isn't there? But you didn't learn a lot that you didn't know already. You know, it's, it's mainly going through kind of the key games with Antonio talking over them. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's, it's you know, it's quite nicely done. Um, but you didn't learn a huge amount from it. But it's an easy way to spend forty minutes. And I think the club, if, uh, knowing the way that the club work, I think that they will definitely be feeling their way into that content rather than hitting you immediately with all the unseen stuff that, you know, that hasn't been seen before. But uh, but overall, it was a good rollout. And uh, technologically, it seemed to work fine. I certainly mm-hmm. had no issues. And uh, they even applied my discount after I'd signed up. They they gave me 
10 quid max so if you're a member or a season ticket holder uh you know remember you do get that discount yeah i think it's worth it mm. well the new season has officially commenced with pre-season in full swing at the training ground in those brand new neon vault tops which i am trying to convince myself i could wear with any degree of decency but I probably couldn't get away with it. Uh, we've also seen some great early door squad stuff. Uh, the QD, Richarlison, Embrace and Smile, right? We all saw that. That was pretty cool. Um, a wonderful dial-ed rating of Matt Doherty's goatee, 7.6 from Eric, minus 2 from Forster and a 5.5 from Kane. I was going to say on the um, Richarlison, um, Romero stuff, on Richarlison's Instagram uh, over the weekend, he put out a, a clip with... Um, some of their tussles in games. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so he'd, he'd done a compilation of you know both of them doing pretty narky tackles on each of them, and them going kind of brow to brow. And then at the end of it, he's he clipped in the hug between them. So Richarlison Brilliant. is clearly a very very smart social media user. It's um, yeah, it's our Brazilians who are the best on best on social media, isn't it? Well, apart what from I like about about Richardson is he's got this amazing mix of awkward, funny, humble, and very talented. It's yeah. kind of the best mix in the play. I feel yeah. like Son has a little bit of that too. It's going to be a fan favorite. He's just brilliant. And I'd see a bromance building between the two of them big time. And I, you know what I can't wait for is the first time that Romero cleans someone else out, that side come and start shoving Romero around. I bet you the first person to his defense is going to be Richarlison right there with him. I have, a, I have a vision of this happening. I think they're going to be in the trenches together. I really do. I, I'm really excited about it. It was an exciting thing to see and uh, them two getting together. But that's good. I didn't know that about his Instagram account. So very good. And you mentioned Sonny, Simon. I think it's fascinating that when uh, everyone arrived in Korea, when the squad arrived, um, he apparently, well, we know he met everyone. But what I didn't know was that he had given everyone a gift and a note. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the note because I think it's, I think it's brilliant. He said, welcome to Korea. I missed you, brothers. It is very meaningful that you came to my country. I know it's a busy schedule, but I hope we have a great time with good energy and great memories. And I want to take this opportunity to say thank you very much. I'm always happy to be with you in Tottenham. And I'm always proud of the goals we achieved together. I mean, I'm going to cry. Thank you always. Let's go for this season. Something special. Two hearts, one white, one navy blue, sunny. Uh, as you said, let's just all take a moment, shall we? I mean, I've always said he's the soul of the club. Kane is the brain. He's the heart. He's the, he's he's such a amazing person. I mean, how fucking exciting is this? We have a squad, and they and just the unity. Oh, anyway, I better move on quickly. I mean, what spirit? And you know, and and Conte and Paratici, and they've 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 fashioned this together, and they've done it with love and with commitment and strength. And they've also been quite brutal, it has to be said, because uh, left behind were Gio Lo Celso, Tangy Ndombele, Harry Winks and uh, Sergio Reggio. Um, it seems like they're axed, yes? Yep, yep. I mean, uh, so word is today that all four are in negotiations with other clubs. So I've seen some people being critical of this, but I, I think it's best. I think it's for the best. We need to move players on. They clearly don't have a, you know, a place in Conte's squad. And I think it's best if everyone knows where they stand and um, you know, people are honest with them. And, you know, certainly if you look at, you know, La Celso and Ondombele, they must have been aware of that for some time. You know, those conversations must have been had in January, if not before then. Um, Harry Winks, you know, I think probably keen to have more minutes anyway, so probably wants to leave. We know that Reggie is is less keen on, on leaving. But, 
you know, we signed another left wing back. He doesn't have a place. So, um, yeah, I think it's the right thing. It's the sense of what's the, the British saying, ripping off the bandage mm-hmm. and doing it directly yeah. instead of waiting because mm-hmm. I think there's two parts of it. It's, it's the thought that, okay, we might sell them, but let's bring them along for the trip and let's be friends and let's you know, give them that. But if you look at it logically and yes, it might be a bit cold-hearted, but just ripping the band-aid and saying, no, this is the team, this is the squad, let's get on with it. And we, we've, we've needed someone to be able to be ruthless in that way and just oh, yeah. keeping it real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we've seen this in the past. Was it maybe must have been 2019, which would have been the last time that the club went on a on a, on a meaningful overseas preseason tour when Danny Rose was left behind. Mm. And when the squad was announced, it was it was made quite clear that there was another player as well. I can't remember who it was, but it was made clear that these players have been left behind. So, you know, some wording like to focus on their own fitness and, and futures. But the, um, the, the suggestion is very clear here that these are players that have been left behind where presumably it'll be much easier for other clubs to come in and negotiate with them and for any prospective transfers to take place while the rest of the squad's away. I think it's very important for the players as well. There's no really nilly bullshit about mm. like, you know, well, could I force my way in? Is there a chance? While I'm here, I must train. It's like, oh, bye-bye. It's good for you. It's good for us. See ya. So I think we're all in agreement there. What I am interested in is where this leaves the squad with regards to domestic and UEFA requirements. Um, so anyone have any thoughts on that? Please dive yeah, in. Yeah, I can start out. I, I feel like there's a confusion or, or maybe a misfocus here. I think people are... People focus a lot on the homegrown numbers, and I'll let Milo get into who are what those rules look like because they're different in Premier League and in uh, Champions League. But what I think people should instead focus on is the foreign numbers, basically our non-homegrown numbers. So in the squad of twenty-five players, we are allowed seventeen foreign players, and right now we're at seventeen with SAR. That means that. Making uh, uh, decisions like bringing Ndombele in isn't that simple. Bringing him in would mean having to leave someone else out. And this is why expense being homegrown is so important. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, have, we don't have space for a foreign right wing back. Right now, we're at five homegrown uh, players. Now, in looking at Tanganga, I've heard this uh, narrative that if we sell Tanganga, we need to bring in another homegrown defender. And that's not really true because if Tanganga is just filling out the numbers, basically being there because it's homegrown but not playing, we can bring up any player from the academy to, 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 to go from 22, where we are now, 22 people in the rotation, to 25. And Tanganga is one of those three extra people. So right now, let's say we bring in a, a attacking central midfielder after Spence. That would mean we'll leave out Saar which is okay, he would probably not play in the Champions League anyway. But that would be not maybe the most uh, kind thing to do for his development. You want him to be there on the bench, but we can do that. But I just think that it's the foreign numbers that we have to focus on and not so much the, the homegrown numbers, not in the Champions League anyways. Yeah, that's my understanding. 
it's my understanding as well. I think Simon articulated that point really well, but the mistake is to try and tally up the number of homegrown players you've got, where actually the trick is to see whether you're within that 17 foreign players that you're allowed, which then um, helps you balance out that squad of 25. So I know and Milo, I'm sure we'll go into it. There's a distinction between what the Premier League classes as homegrown and what UEFA considers as, as homegrown. I think loosely Doherty and Davis are considered homegrown in the Premier League, but not as far as UEFA are concerned. Um, I'm desperately trying to do the maths in front of me now, but I, I think Simon's absolutely right, and I'll take his word for it, that we're, we're, we're comfortable at the moment within that 17. So Legle brings us up to 16, and Saar is 17. Speaking of Clement Langley, uh, the French centre-back has joined us on a season-long loan from Barcelona. Langley or as Steph refers, Langley, can play in the middle or on the left of a back three. We've spoken about him a bit since the end of the season, so we're not going to go over all ground again. Um, what do you think, chaps? I th- think that he was not our first choice player to play in that position, but I think there was a realisation that we weren't going to get our first or, or second choice. He's a player that we were interested in last summer as well, and I understand he didn't want to come to us last year, which mm-hmm. understandable because we weren't in the Champions League. Then I think it sounds a sensible signing that we get him on, on loan for the year. And then, I mean, the worst thing that could happen is that he has a fantastic season and we want to sign him, but we can't because either Barcelona want to take him back or someone else can come in and, and, and blow us out the water with a bid, which um, not having that obligation to buy could potentially put us in a bit of trouble for. I'm not sure that's confirmed. So I think BBC are reporting that we do have an option. So there's kind of mixed reporting on that. I'm not quite sure what the position is. Okay, well, that, yeah, I mean, that changes it. You'd, if you wanted to have everything in our favour, then we'd have that option to buy within this. Mm. So if that is the case, then it's, it's, it's even more of a smart option. I've heard mixed reports from, from different quite sort of credible journalists about how good he is. I mean, the black mark against him is that he's not had a very good season or, or two years at Barcelona. But I think there's probably some mitigating circumstances for that. Um, one of which being that he's played in a back two, whereas, of course, he'll play either in the mm-hmm. middle of or on the left of a back three in, um, in, in Conte's system. System. But he was a, a very, very good prospect at Seville. He has played in the French national side as well. Mm-hmm. And you'd like to think that for, for him to have had the credentials to have signed for Barcelona in the first place must mean that he's got some ability there. And you, you hope with a coach like Conte, who's got such a good track record of improving players as well, that we've got a really good player in there as well. And if he's at least as good as Simon Davis, then we've got some really good... Uh, Simon. Ben Davis. Um, <laughs> your, your computer screen is, is throwing me a mock here. So, um, Simon Davis <laughs> on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he's as good as Ben Davis, then we've got some pretty good options across that back three this season. Gareth's going totally insane. Sorry, I was just rapping. Uh, sorry, anyway, yeah, saying. so my view of Lenglet is that he's a functional left centre-back that can also play central centre-back. I think his strengths are on the ball. I think a lot of people have talked about that. I think his weakness is not that he's a bad defender, but that he's a bit slow on the turn. Meaning one but V1 against like a quick... Uh, quick uh, winger like Salah, he could struggle sometimes. But in a sense, to me, he's not a stopgap. He's a backup. And I, to me, this narrative of stopgap or waiting until the next summer, firstly, I don't think that's what we're doing. I think we're shoring up that we have a squad for now and also giving us a better leverage for 
an eventual negotiation looking at what happens with Bastoni and so on. But to me, we have Conte for this year. Uh, we have Kane before he hits his last year. This year, I think waiting is not really something that is part of our plan. Uh, and I think we will see more activity in putting in bids later in the summer. Because there's still two months left. Square peg for a square hole. We needed a left-sided uh, centre-back to come in as a squad member. And that's what he does. I think it's really, really smart business. Regardless of whether we go back for Bastoni or Guardiola, I think it's smart business. So, you know, low risk um, and fills a really good need. So I think it's really good work. Um, also, really good work in this window. It has to be said with a tinge of regret, but I, it, it is good work. Steven Bergwijn has uh, left the building and he's gone to Ajax for a fee of 30 million euros, which is, I think, really good business. Um, he's had a mixed time with us, it's fair to say. Some incredible highlights with that debut against Man City and the Leicester comeback, of course, will always be synonymous with him. And what an important point of the season it was, you know. Truth be told, it just never quite happened for him for whatever reason. Um, and I think the deal suits everyone. Uh, chaps, uh, how do we think he's going to do at Ajax? I'll I'll start by saying I think it's a, it's a great move for him. It's a great move for him. He's going to have a good time there, I think. I think he'll do very well at Ajax. I think he'll be back at um, a club in one of the top five leagues within a season or two. Um, I think we've done well to... Well, if we turned a profit on him, it's close to that, isn't it? So at it's least get our money close. back. I think it I is think, a profit. Um, I think we've done, we've done pretty well. Um, he's a good player. It didn't work out. Um, he was never seriously pre- pressurized, you know, putting pressure on the first, you know, the two players he was, uh, he could compete with. You know, we covered this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, Richarlison does do that and, um, you know, makes us a lot more competitive. So he's a good player. He'll do well. Um, but it was the right time for him to leave. I mean, to me, the price is amazing. To me, there was only one club that would pay that much for a player that hasn't played for two years. And it's a club based in the country it comes from, seeing him playing for the national team. Because he's barely played for two years. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a good player. Um, and that's obvious to see. He's a young player. But uh, I think it's amazing business. I'm, I'm a little bit pre-annoyed because I know we will see a lot of revisionist history saying we shouldn't have left him go and uh, we fucked up because he will probably do numbers in, uh, in that league. Uh, but other than that, I'll, I think I'll be able to live with it. Yeah, likewise, I think he'll score a lot of goals for Ajax this year. I think he'll probably score at least three times for Holland in the World Cup. And I think in two years' time, he'll come back and he'll sign for someone like Everson or, or Aston Villa. Uh, and then probably I think they'll, he'll find his, his ceiling. I don't think even in a in a full Premier League season, I'd be surprised if he scored more than 12, which, look, is a decent return for a forward. Uh, I just don't think he's at the level that we need him to be. Oh, I agree. And just to round off, I just want to add, I think one thing that everyone has to consider is that, you know, any footballer and their career and how they do, it's not just about the pitch. I mean, Maurizio Pochettino used to talk about the fact you sign to train, you don't sign to play in the first team. And I think Antonio Conte operates the same way. And I think that's precisely what's happened here with Bergwijn. He, he you know, just hasn't shown it in training. And I think we all have to accept that. Good luck to him. As everyone has said, great business. Another player moving on is Jack Clark, who's joined Sunderland on a permanent deal. Um, at this stage, the fee hasn't been confirmed. Does this sound like a good move for Jack? Unequivocally, yes. Yeah, I think so. He's, he's playing for a team that he's uh, been successful with this season. It's obviously a part of the world that he'll be he'll be quite familiar with as well. They play back five, right? So they'll play what, left wing back. I think that's a good system for him. He, he played as a wing back, a right wing back last season, yeah. um, and then uh, with them. But he's also played across the front three as well. So, yeah, he did well there last year. 
I think he'll do numbers, and I think he be back in the Premier League in uh, in a couple of years. Yeah, good move for him. Good move for us. Another example of how uh, good our window's been so far. I think for for everyone, players leaving and for us uh, getting players in. Further news this week was that Richarlison uh, is already banned for a game, <laughs> which is quite unfortunate for us. But uh, the FA, in their wisdom, have uh, confirmed that Richarlison will miss our first game of the season with a one-game ban for throwing a flare into the crowd while celebrating his match-winning goal for Everton against Chelsea in May. I suppose it's fair enough. One thing to hold the flare, it is a little silly to throw it back in the crowd. So anyway, all yeah, we won't be seeing him uh, first game of the season. Nuno Espirito Santo has been named as the new manager of Saudi Arabia's Al Ittihad. Al Ittihad missed out on the title um, on the final day of last season. Presumably, this means that he's now off our payroll. Now he's no longer on gardening leave. Um, let's hope this appointment helps Nuno rebuild his career after a bad spell with us. I wish him nothing but the best of luck. I really, I mean that most he's sincerely. He's a gent, isn't he? Absolute gent. And really, totally right. Yeah. Transfer rumours. Here we are. The week in transfer rumours uh, started, I think, most prominently with Jeff Tanganga's name coming up. And Gianluca Di Marzio has reported that AC Milan have met with Jaffet's agent, but as yet have not begun negotiations with the club. Uh, so, chaps? I mean, this was a link in January, wasn't it, where he was linked with, uh, linked with Milan. So it makes sense. I think he'd do very well in Italy. Um, I think he's a decent defender, just not very well suited to what... Um, what Conte wants, you know, he's he's not comfortable on the ball enough. He's not comfortable bringing the ball out of defence enough. You know, just just not a good fit. It's pertinent to to mention that his agent is Italian, so we'll probably see him linked to a couple of Italian clubs. Mm. And he's a strong defender. He's physically strong. I think he Italy is a good league for him because mm-hmm. he can learn a lot in that league in the right system and in, in the right uh, team. And AC Milan is a young team, so I think he he. Over the last couple of seasons, we've seen you know a few English players go to Italy and do very well. You know, it seems to be an emerging trend, doesn't it? Yeah, no. Um, you think something in Smalling and Tamori, both defenders who have gone out and played in Italy mm. in the last few years, aren't they? Um, t- I mean, it surprised me slightly. Therefore, that Tanganga's travelled out with the rest of the squad, so it at least draws me to the conclusion that nothing's very imminent there at all, and that at least Conte is open-minded to him keeping him and him being part of the plans this year. Yeah, well, if I was in charge, if it was Steph's sympathy squad, I'd keep him around for another year, but that's uh, not part of the ruthless uh, world squad that number we need to be in right now. No, no, indeed. Um, the ticker moved on this week on Jed Spence. It looks like it's creeping ever closer with the gap apparently now being down to 2.5 million. But uh, as we were talking off pod, Milo was saying that there's also word that a lot of this is down to haggling over add-ons and so on and so forth. Uh, observers on both sides are saying the gap will be bridged soon. So I think we can expect that to be concluded uh, before the well, before the window ends. Let's just say that. Not just in Jed, I think it's important to realize that it's all about leverage. And so early on in the window, when we've been, we've had this deadline, which is the preseason. And so for Boro, they're not in a hurry this early, whilst we've been in a hurry. And apparently, like uh, Milo has informed us about these add-ons, someone has to break or someone has to give somewhere. And the further down the window we get, then Boro comes to a point where they have to start making business. They need that money in so they can start buying players. I'll see. I think we'll see movement. So I don't think it's a case of Traore where this 
goes away. I think it's just posturing for now. Right. And, and I'm back for my second Monty Python reference of the pod, which is everyone loves a bit of an aggle. All like a bit of an aggle. Oh, go on then. Come on, let's aggle. Oh, you want to aggle? Well, Steve Gibson loves an aggle and so does Daniel, but it will get sorted, I'm sure. Um, the rumour mill is also a Twitter this week with words that Sevilla are moving quickly to access Sergio Region on a loan without obligation to buy and a discount on wages. Uh, given that they are on the verge of reportedly selling their own left back, Augustinson, to Aston Villa, this one appears to have legs, right, chaps? What do we think? Um, I mean, the story started in is it Mucho Deporte, uh, the Spanish paper, so I don't know how reliable they are. I had a read of their article around this and you know, kind of earlier earlier today, and obviously it's been picked up elsewhere since. I mean, he's been left behind, and we're told that the player's been left behind during negotiations with the clubs. He had a spell at Sevilla before. He was um, there on loan from Madrid for the season before he joined us, so um, and did very well. So yeah, possible, but I don't know how I don't know how reliable Mucho Deporte are. But I love the name of that newspaper, and I'm going to try and say it as many times as I can today. Which, yeah, I mean, which one again? Uh, did was it Mucho Deporte? Mm, excellent. Yeah, very good. Mucho Deporte. T- I'm downloading the app uh, on my phone as we speak. I'm going to be. I'm going to get all excellent. my news from there. So that's a new addition to our wonderful pod is the weekly uh, look at the Mucho Deporte uh, sports pages, courtesy of Milo. I do think it's local, though, if I'm not. Uh, so that might make it a yeah. little bit more. Those when you local, say it is uh, local, you mean Mucho Deporte? Mucho Deporte. <laughs> This is going to become very much uh, like Nicholas Bentner, isn't it? It's going to become that. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, so we think there's legs to this. I wonder if Mucha Deporte has picked up on that bastion of honesty, the Daily Mail's uh, <laughs> via the murkier quarters of the Spanish press, which, of course, is not Mucha Deporte. But I'm wondering if they picked up on the Daily Mail's report that we are inquiring about Memphis Depay and that we did so in our negotiations for Clement, uh, Clement Langley. Clement Langley. Um, folks, I mean, is this just one of those, like, is, is this typical of the sort of, like, whispering rumour that keeps going around and it's just bollocks? Is this a good example of that? Yes. Yes. I think we won't do anything in the attacking third before we've done anything more in the defensive third. That's just my speculating, but to me, this is just a, a, a rumour. I wouldn't be surprised if very late in the window we're looking for bargains from clubs that are desperate to move players on, and you know, Barca need to get players off their wage bill because they're still in financial pro- financial trouble. So I think if anything was happening on this, it's probably a transfer deadline day or near to that. And um, you know, it's it's the icing and cherry on a cake of you know what's already been a very successful window for us. But the overall mood of this pod, as we sit here tonight, is that it is bollocks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, sir. And we move on. <laughs> Giesen Bremer has reportedly ruled himself out of a move here, stating he'd rather stay in Syria. I think there are some various reasons behind that, um, uh, besides just playing choice. Uh, but yeah, where does that leave us with the search for a second centre back? Um, who would you like to see come in? I mean, of, uh, other than shall we say the obvious Bastoni or, or, or Guardiol? I think it's going to be interesting to see where Langley plays. Um, you know, as we, we've already said, he can play on the left or in the in the middle. I think there are more options at left centre-back than there are at central centre-back for um, a Conte side. And you know, some of uh, Langley's uh, deficiencies that you know, Simon's already mentioned 
might be mitigated by playing him in the centre. You know, you know, similar with Dyer, where you know we saw problems with Dyer when he was played in a back two, um, and, and particularly when we were high up the pitch and he was having to turn and run back. He, you know, his lack of pace got got caught out, and since playing in the middle of a three, he's been he's been exceptional. So you know, I maybe only heard that, the last bit. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe the same. I mean, I'm whispering at Steph because he's the Bickle is back, and I'm scared of him when he's uh... the Bickle is back. Well, yeah, absolutely, isn't it? Just looks brilliant, doesn't it? <laughs> so I think there are more options, uh, uh, you know, left centre back, and you know, whilst we know that kind of our top two targets are off the table, uh, so I'll let Simon talk through, you know, some of his favourites because I know that there's you know a couple of players in that position that you, you, know, you fancy and you've been keeping an eye on. Um, but I just wonder. I wonder whether that's where we look rather than central centre back. And I think we will bring in another defender this summer. I think if you look at the market, what people need to understand is there's a merry-go-round right now that starts mm. with Inter. So Inter need to make this sixty million profit, and so they have Skriniar and they have Bastoni, which and both those players have interest from PSG and us, uh, and and Chelsea want Skriniar for. Uh, for their uh, defense. Now, if they are able to sell Skriniar, now they don't need to sell the Stone. But mm-hmm. if they're able to sell Skriniar, now they can bring in uh, Bremer, who they already have a personal agreement with. Now, if they can't sell Skriniar for the price they want, now they can't bring in uh, Bremer, so they have to sell the Stone. If they keep both, now Bremer is uh, available for Chelsea or us. This is the other reason why I think we're still waiting to see what we do uh, with the marquee signing on left centre back. Because the market right now is not moving. So what we do is we make sure we have an option with Legle, who can cover both Dyer and his left footed. And then we wait to see if we can get a Bastoni, if we can get a Bremer. And then under them, we have players like Ndika or Badiashil or Hinkepi, mm-hmm. who are all on our list. And especially Badiashil and uh, Ndika are French defenders. And they're not particularly, they're pretty similar to Bastoni. They're cheaper. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same uh, experience with Conte, of course. But they're basically, they're the same age. They're incredibly good on the ball. They're solid defenders. And they're have one or two years left on their contract. Yep. So there's still a lot of stuff happening in the market. So I still think that we might see us at least attempt getting someone in. But now we're covered. Yeah, and I think both of those players, as you said, you know, they're younger, less experienced players, but we've, we're, we've got the luxury of Ben Davis playing very well in that position. We don't need to rush someone through. So um, we could we could look at one of those options, you know, play them in, you know, you know maybe add, add less difficult games and let them find their feet and then maybe see them um, you know, stake a case as, as the season went on. One very quick thing to add, which I found interesting in this discussion is I think there's been talk that we would be prepared to wait another year to bid for Guardiola. Um, but, you know, there's starting to... The whispers are starting that Man City are really looking a little deeper yeah. at making a bid. And I wonder if that's agent spun or what's going on. But I will say this. I do wonder if that's going to push push us to make a decision as to whether we make this massive signing or not, because it feels like if they if they go for him and we nail him down, that will be a real turning of the tide. He's got a clause next summer when he can leave for less, but the the money yeah. they want this summer is is very high. 
City have been watching him for a while, so that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I'm always a bit skeptical about this, you know, waiting till next summer because a lot can happen in a yes. year and, you know, a player could move beyond you or yes. also they could have a crap season and, and their value yes. plummets. So, yeah. um, I'm sure we've got a long list that we're looking at for, you know, away in the future, but we're not going to be making decisions like that now. And I want to underline what, what Milo says here. It's really important that people realize the shift that, that our project have made, our club have made. We're not lo- any longer a project club in, in that sense. We, we are win now. We have Conte for this year, and we need to convince him to extend. He won't extend if Kane doesn't extend or is still at the club. And so we have to make the most progress we can this year. And to Guardiola, why we're waiting is, if we're going to spend 70, 80 million laying in a bid for Guardiola, because that we can't afford that, we don't want to do it before we have seeing what's happening with Rim or Bastoni or these other That certainly good feels options. about right to me. Yes, I agree with that. It really feels about right. I mean, I just feel that that's not dead. It just doesn't feel that not, neither Bastoni or Guardiola feel dead to me. It does feel like there's going to be one more move for one. And uh, it's ironic that it seems Guardiola, Guardiola is the, uh, he's maybe the more accessible, but he will be more expensive, won't he? But one player that uh, is, has also come up um, recently, and again, this could be another one of these rumour mill stuff that's just thrown out there because he, he had a good uh, under-19s for Israel. It's um, a midfielder, 18-year-old Oscar Gluck, um, likened to Yossi Benayoun meeting Christian Eriksen, but more physically robust. That sounds like it was written by an agent for the press, if ever I've seen anything. But, you know, he had a he had a good U19s tournament. 10 millions quoted. Ajax, Rangers and Roma all interested. Sought by the Daily Mirror or the Mirror, as it is now known, folks. Yes or no? Or is it another one of those whispers in the wind that someone's put out there? Um, I mean, Israel uh, impressed me in the... Um... Uh, in the under nineteen zeros, he was a good. He's a good player. Um, I don't think there's much in this. I think he's probably more like uh, Rangers are being very heavily linked. I think he's probably more likely to go there. We will be back to transfer rumours next week. We're now going to move on to look at the person who has been uh, driving the most dynamic transfer window Tottenham Hotspur have had in many a year, if ever, actually. In our, in our history. And that is Fabio Paratici. Um, we're going to look at the decisions that Fabio's made uh, rather than, you know, go through uh, what has happened on the pitch. We made that clear at the top of the show. Well, you know, has he made the right decisions, um, you know, compared to, you know, when he joined? Let, let's just take a look at everything. And let me put it into frame uh, where this 48-year-old from Borgovono Valtidone was. That's his place of birth, incidentally, and not a football club, was appointed. Let's see where he was when he was appointed by Daniel Levy as managing director of football uh, on July 1st, 2021. You know, we've seen Mourinho revert to type. The wheels have come off his wagon. We're in thick of a pandemic. Mason was a placeholder. Star player trying to force a move. I mean, all sorts was going on. We'd even barely scraped into the bottom tier fledgling tournament of the Europa Conference League. It's fair to say the mood was not great and on arrival here's what levy said on the club website about him quote i've known fabio for a number of years and he brings with him a wealth of experience in scouting youth and football operations he has an outstanding track record in assembling competitive squads as we all know juventus have been a highly successful club and he has been a major part of that he'll be a great addition to the management structure Uh, and fabio paratici himself said quote I'm thrilled by this fantastic opportunity and I thank the club and the chairman for the trust in me. 
Tottenham is one of the top clubs in the UK and in Europe with an ambitious long-term plan. I will dedicate all myself to this new venture and look forward to working with the management team to write a new and hopefully successful chapter in the club history. So the floor is open, chaps. Let's take a look. And let me ask, first of all, what sort of man and director of football did you see him as when he first arrived at the club? Um, I mean, I was a bit more positive than you were about him, Steph, when he arrived. You know, someone that Levy knew, um, Hitchin was uh, you know, friends with and uh, you know, had a good relationship with as well. Um, he'd had a pretty decent record at, at Juve, you know, and, and through his career in a number of different roles. And I think, you know, some of the reporting early on, you know, I mean, this is a problem with directors of football full stop, and maybe not with Paratici at Spurs, but, you know, it's always very difficult to know who does what. And certainly at Juve, where there was a lot of signing kind of older players who were free agents and things like that, I think that clouded quite a few people's judgments of him when he first joined. And I think that was a club policy rather than a Paratici uh, policy. And, you know, that certainly hasn't been borne out by what we've seen of him at Spurs in the whole. So, yeah, I, I, I was, um, I was you know, kind of cautiously optimistic when he came in. Uh, but we were at a, a real low point, uh, you know, then. Yeah, I, Simon might say otherwise, but there wasn't... <laughs> He had. He wasn't someone whose name had been discussed very much prior to joining us. I don't think he was someone that many people knew too much about. Certainly, uh, domestically in this country, anyway. I think what's interested, or what I remember being mentioned a lot about him, was his ability to sign players on free transfers. Again, that that may have been more down to a Juventus direction than anything that was specifically Paratici in the way that transfers were done. And I think there was a suggestion or a thought process that maybe that would be a market that we'd be moving into in, in terms of getting players signed on, on freeze. And Perisic, I think, is probably the first of those that, mm-hmm. that we have signed. And it feels like that's, that's definitely a new direction for the club. I, I can't imagine that's a, a player that we would have signed or the sort of deal we would have done. But then there are other variables in place here that this may well be down to Conte as much as it is down to Paratici. So difficult to know how much of that to attribute to him. I mean, I'm a, I've been a Serie A fan my whole life, especially a Roma fan. And I think he's one of those names that you know about if you follow the league pretty closely. Like, I don't think... Uh, a lot of fans in France or Spain knows no Levy, but most Premier League fans know Levy, and he's uh, so he's kind of that name is very well respected. I think the misconception from a lot of Spurs fans to this day is that he was the director of football for all nine years uh, he was at Juventus, which is not true. He came mm-hmm. up through the ranks, but he, the last five four years he was a big part of the recruitment. And he was the director of football the last, I think, three, four years. Now, I think I was I was excited. And I remember I was on this pod and tried to talk about. I think I was excited for two reasons. I think uh, the biggest reason had to do with our club. Uh, the lack of direction, the way Levy was involved in football uh, operations when uh, using his business brain to do football decisions, which is always that great of an idea. I always think that people who are experts in their field make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. And so just getting in someone in a clear-cut role at the club, making those type of uh, decisions was a big part 
of my excitement. And then not knowing the name and knowing he was a good, uh, good eye, he had a good eye for talent. He had a good eye for making shrewd business deals was something I thought could work with what we needed at the club. Cause it had to be someone that could make deals because otherwise Lilo would still be part of the decision-making in a much, uh, in a much bigger way. But it also, as Garrett uh, alludes to, had to be someone that could um, who could recruit better, who could find those free transfers, who had business connections, who had new agents, and who had a reputation big enough to be able to stand up to Lili. And so I kind of felt that this could work out, um, or at least that it would push us towards a direction of, mm-hmm. of going back to having uh, directors of football. Uh, uh, and so I kind of... I, I, that's what I knew about him. He's he was well respected, and he was uh, part of a winning culture. And I thought that we needed that. I was always very much in the camp of I want to give him time before I get behind him. You're absolutely right, Milo. And I was trying to think back why why did I have that feeling? And I think it's because I've seen Daniel do the dance with directors of football several times. And I, I suppose if I'm sort of being ignorant here, I was a little bit sidetracked by his, you know the the whole Baldini situation with AVB and how that worked out, um, which was probably the other most transformative summer window we've experienced. Um, and, you know, in fairness to Baldini, uh, he was not dealing with a full deck in sense of he didn't have all the tools uh, at his disposal, and not the least of which because I doubt that Daniel had fully learned what he wanted from a director of football at that point. He'd gone through Camoli. I mean, we've been through all this, but I was trying to figure out why did I not quite feel easy about this? And it was my reluctance to give him full trust from the off was I didn't know if Daniel knew what he was doing. So, you know, I, I think that Daniel's realization of what the role needed and the man that you need he needed in that role i think it was a perfect storm my recollection is steph you're also worried about his links to mendez correct which you quite rightly said at the time was bullshit <laughs> no you did and i remember being very very suspicious that he was just going to plow the juventus path all the time and we'll get into that a little bit mm-hmm. later but yeah i you're, you're right i was suspicious of all of that stuff and uh, but i have to give you credit uh, Steph, because I also think you can't forget the context, which is I'm not having that. Levy, our trust. I'm not, I'm not having someone give Steph credit. No, no, that's not one. <laughs> no, but I'm just mean our, our trust for Levy having almost yeah. sold the club for the Super League, and I mean he was such on such a bad track record, having not trusting him to to make a right decision at that point was pretty valid in my mind. Yeah, and and Levy's got a track record of not letting directors of football get on with their job. Right. Um, I think one thing actually we've missed here, which we probably should also say, is that when Paratici was first mentioned about coming in, it was as a kind of double deal with Conte coming in at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Conte either decided that the club wasn't in the right place or that needed a break before coming back to football, whatever the real reason is. Don't know. But obviously the interest with Paratici continued after that which um, I think was a surprise. Okay, so let's just take a look at the managerial situation that he walked into, first of all, Um, because I think if we're all completely honest, uh, and we can be in hindsight, that fought us that luxury, you know, we were broken. We were a broken club at that point, and I don't think any of us saw uh, a positive solution. Um, You know, I think we were at the point that he came in, if I remember correctly, uh, Fonseca's name was being mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so let's so let's let's pick this up. Let's pick up what he had to deal with in this last twelve months when it came to managers, starting with that summer of twenty twenty one. Yes, you're right. I mean, Fonseca was one of the, 
Fonseca was one of the names that was being linked at that time. Um, you know, pretty quick, quickly ripped up uh, Hitchens' list and um, started started afresh. And you know, there was obviously mis- missteps there because one of the first, you know, Catuso was very, very close to joining the club and would have done if um, if the fans, you know, hadn't turned on that decision on social media and the club very clearly <laughs> I, reacted to that. You know what? I had completely forgotten about that. That is so right. I mean, I think I've blocked it out but he was he was very close wasn't he it was all agreed it was all agreed until the no to catuso uh hashtag on twitter went to number one in the country and the club backtracked and that was a moment just to clarify where paratici had stepped in this was happening and and but levy still uh, somewhat wielded the final call am i right in saying that guys i think catuso was paratici's man i'm certain of that i think the club you know, the club probably told him it wasn't on when they saw the reaction to it. But again, I think probably the club didn't do him any favours because he probably needed a bit of support. He was new to the country, new to the club. And, you know, some of these things are different in England than they are in Italy. And um, he probably needed a bit more help and support from the club. You know, anyone with a decent antenna should have been able to see that there was trouble coming with that appointment, uh, you know, and, and warned him about that. I think a lot of confusion in the managerial hunt comes down to this. So I think, and this is just me speculating, and I know you guys have some insights into what happens behind behind the closed doors that I don't have. But to me, I felt like Fabio uh, said, I can bring Conte. He doesn't have a job. He just quit his job, and I can bring him with me. And at that point, I don't think Conte trusted Levy to give him what he needed. And I don't think Levy trusted Partici. And so that deal broke down. I think there's different stories going out saying that that deal broke down for different reasons. I I buy your reason. I think your reason makes the most sense to me. Because Conte said, I wasn't ready emotionally, and I don't buy that. That's just PR to me. Yes, he operate, He operates with such emotion in his in his, in his his job sphere, doesn't he? He's such an emotional and off-the-cuff guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think he is emotional. He's very clearly very, very emotional. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't <laughs> operate in that. He's, he's pragmatic emotional, right? So. <laughs> yeah. I think it was about the salary. And I think it was about uh, him getting his demands and him mm-hmm. looking at Levy basically fucking up the club for a full year. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear. But then you look at the context. At the market in spring 2001, there was no good options left. So when Fabio couldn't get his first option, he had to go to Gattuso, Fonseca, and Nuno. And so I kind of feel like there wasn't trust. The, the trust that, and also the trust that exists now between Levy and Partici was probably not there because it was new to the job. They never worked together. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this, the club's direction has changed in terms of managers. I think at this date, this predates Paratici, actually. But I think that the intention is that we are going to get the best, most successful coach who is available when we need a manager. And it just turned out that in not being able to attract Conte, and I think there had been talks with, with Pochettino earlier in the summer, that when Paratici arrived, it became pretty clear that the best coach who was available at that point willing to take on the job was probably Nuno, which is why he was appointed. Uh, but I think the deal was done in quite a clever way where it was easy to break ties with him should things not pan out as everyone would have wanted them to do, which happened much sooner than we anticipated happening. Do we think that Paratici was prepared to let it burn a little bit so as he could get his way? I mean, do you think he knew that? I mean, was Nuno in a sense a sacrifice? 
No, it was a desperation move. There was no one else available. It was a week before pre-season training started. We had we'd run out of options. I don't think he was ever more than a stopgap, you know, kind of managerial Clement Langley. And, uh, and that's the title of this week's pod, isn't it? <laughs> and you that's know, another and, jazz band, <laughs> managerial Langley, right? Hi, welcome to managerial Langley. <laughs> we'll be and, you know, and, and obviously, you know, with with Nuno, it, it yeah, he was a bad fit for the club in you know in hindsight, and it went wrong very very quickly. I think Paratici deserves credit for you know pulling the trigger when he did and and getting rid of him. And you know, we were very quick to bring in Conte at that point. Um, I agree with Simon about kind of the timing of Conte. I think you know, by come November, Conte would have had a you know would have seen what Paratici was able to do over the summer and how much control he had of the club and, and of transfers. Um, and he's coming into a far more, you know, kind of stable and established um, position then. Whereas if he'd come in at the beginning of the summer, there's a lot more unknowns there. And I think that probably was a factor. And I also like the, la- we have, we can't forget the other layer of context, which is the financial situation in football and in the world. To, to Levy's mind, in the spring, there was still a shutdown. There was still no audiences. And so for him yeah. to make that kind of commitment to someone like Conte, 20 million a year, this budget probably wasn't what he wanted to put. The, he probably didn't want to put the club in that financial situation before he knew he could fill the stadium. And so in November, so they, so they, they picked a, a coach like Nuno and they said, he's a stopgap. Let's build a project with uh, signing youth. Uh, let's start rebuilding. And then in November, the situation clearly had changed financially for the club. You could see uh, events being planned. You could see uh, revenue started to come in. And so both Levy could probably give Conte and Partici the, the, the financial power that uh, more comfortably in November. I mean, just to conclude the managerial appointments, I think we we would all agree that, you know, things changed to the point, as you said, Simon, economics and uh, projected economics changed. Um, I think our situation changed in terms of desperation. I think the desperation was was palpable. Um, you know, there were two games we talked about many times uh, that were absolutely dismal at that point in our in our season. And so finally, uh, Paratici has managed to, I think it's fair to say, muscle Antonio Conti into the club. And we see Daniel slowly acquiescing to the point that, wow, I actually have a director of football here who not only wears big boy pants, but tells me to put mine on. I mean, that's what it feels like at this point. Conti's come in. Let's look at the transfers that happened. Uh, you know, first that he that he uh, that happened under Nuno or during the Nuno era, and then we'll go to Jan- the January transfers, and then of course we're going to come to the summer ones. So, chaps, let's start off with the fact that you know he secured Christian Romero. Uh, you know, in the, that summer of 2021, which we would have to say was a pretty good statement of intent, right? Yeah, it was a lot of money for a defender without any track record of playing in the in the Premier League. It was, I can't remember the chronology of it. I can't remember how heavily we were linked to him prior to Baratici um, joining, but certainly it was he that got him over the line. And that was a double deal with Gallini coming in from Atalanta at the same at the, at the same point. Might not have been on the same day, but it happened pretty much at the same time. Uh, but it was a good deal um, because if, if I'm wrong, it wasn't a permanent deal when we signed him, was it? We did we sign him on a loan? It's a season long loan, which is season, um, yeah. So I think at um, some point, very very soon, we should have a, another unveiling for him as a 
permanent Spurs player because the loan expired at the end of June. You presume that that's now become permanent and we've paid some money for him, but um, I would have expected another unfailing. Maybe they'll do that now he's got his new squad number. So we had him come in. We had Brian Hill come in. Very exciting. Looked a bit like a Ringo Starr. <laughs> uh, yeah, if we look at last summer, you know, Simon's already touched on kind of the effect of the pandemic and not having the full stadiums, and that would have impacted on the budget slightly. And certainly when we saw players coming in on loan, um, we were trying to kick stuff down the down the road. So, you know, to when we're going to have more money in. And obviously he was signing players, you know, for Nuno. So you've got players like Emerson Royale coming in who, you know, were a good fit for Nuno. I think uh, Brian Hill probably falls into that category as well, although I think he's a player who suffered from kind of Nuno's A team, B team. Um, approach and kind of the players who found themselves in the B team playing in the conference were on a bit of a hiding to nothing. So, you know, whilst some of our business from last summer maybe hasn't been the most successful, you you do have to realise that that he was signing players for a very different manager and a very different system. It strikes me that um, Hill and Saar were probably, that's probably a legacy of the Steve Hitchens previous era where you buy young promising players who are relatively risk-free and you, you do it on the gamble that they're going to get better and they'll either develop with you or you they'll have a pretty good sell-on fee. I, th- I think it's the other two, certainly Romero and Gallini, takes us into the um, into the Paratici era. And he said, I think Royale was probably a pragmatic choice two days before the end of the transfer window to buy a right back for a coach who wanted to play with a back four. We've gone through Gallini's name three times now without Milo making any mention, which is which I think is a pod, is, is a pod record. Uh, because usually we can't mention uh, Galini's name without uh, a, a torrent of abuse flying from Milo's mouth. Unlike you, Steph, I find it easy to move on. <laughs> <laughs> you are the steel to my to my retirement home and my my sympathy squad. Right? <laughs> we should do that one time. That that we should compare squads. <laughs> As you said, mine would be a seventy-five man tour of Southeast Asia, and yours would probably be like fifteen for a five with, a side with, team. With, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I feel like I can add here, being the context person of this episode, is another layer of context, which is you forget that he actually started his job 1st of July. Mm. And to me, the biggest thing he did was uh, make the squad a lot younger and mm-hmm. how he was able to focus on getting some players away, like Sissoko, yeah. Tob, yeah. Toby, Aurier. Warrior, warrior. <laughs> Which is an excellent point. No, you make a very important point, Simon, because Aurier yeah. was was a was a a very key transfer actually for us because we'd never just written a player off like that. Yeah. Usually, Daniel liked to hold on to squeeze the last bit of uh, yeah. tea out of the bag, if you will, and, uh, and and so that's a really important point you've made. Yeah. yeah. And so Romero, Emerson, Gill, uh, even Golini, and uh, Sar, they immediately made us into a development, development squad with only one or two players uh, being 28, 29. So that's yeah, a, a great the, point. the first big step he did. And, yeah. and also, I think, um, uh, just as you said, getting deals for Sissoko and Toby were seen pretty much by a lot of fans as close to impossible because they were at such an advanced mm. age. I disagree with um, Gareth um, a little bit on uh, the Hill and uh, and Saar. 
um, signings and linking them to Hitch. And I think um, I think they are uh, Paratici signings. Uh, one of the things he did at Juve was you know was bringing in young players. So I mean that's um, you know that was his focus there. Certainly when he was number two in the in the um, director of football office. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that they were his. And then on on Real, you know, kind of late in the window, you've got to bear in mind that we've been linked with Tomoyasu all summer, and we all thought that was pretty much nailed on. I think it was evidence of of Paratici's you know, famed negotiating ten billion different deals at one time, and then pulling the trigger at the last minute on on the one that makes sense, and you know, basically took advantage of Barca being broke. Don't lie, every Arsenal fan I know has told me Tomoyasu. He chose Arsenal before Spurs because he likes Arsenal better. Of course, that's the reason. Those are the same ones who told you that Arsenal were going to be in the Champions League. <laughs> uh, anyway, but um, yeah, I, I, I think process, that's an excellent Steph. point. Trust the process. Trust the process as we should. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's all part of a bigger plan. I apologise <laughs> to all Gooners out there for my cynicism as to their uh, current opinions. Um, but yeah, you're, you, again, you've made a great point, Simon, that, you know, his his clearing of the decks was very important. Um, let's move to January because, boy, oh boy, a pivotal window indeed. I'm going to kick it off by saying, um, surprising to anyone who listens to us regularly, I was not shy about expressing my disappointment in the Luis Diaz deal not coming through. I, I have since, with the beauty of revision and hindsight, come to realise, especially with the Charleston signing, which we will get to, that it might well have been one of the greatest things that happened to us in terms of not getting a deal across the line, as much for the people that we bought in in January as anything else and how they proved to be. And once again, I am going to start with you on this, Simon, because you are, as you said, probably the biggest Serie A expert amongst us all. And you were very confident when, once again, I... I freely admit the jury was out for me with with, with Kulisevsky, um, and that was as much about my ignorance as anything else. I'd I'd done the YouTube search with everybody else and thought, yeah, he looks promising, but I hadn't seen enough to tell me that he was going to be an over uh, the overwhelming success he's been. So take it away. I mean, just just to again reiterate, at this point, Partici was a pretty. Um, his reputation wasn't the greatest because I think people are, were starting to kind of get annoyed that we were linked to only Serie A players. But to me, as a Swede and a Serie A fan, Kulisevsky to me was such a such a I mean dunk to poster to to, to use an American phrase. The, the the level of talent of Kulisevsky was hidden in the fact that he played for Juventus under a hideous coach, two hideous coaches actually. And so to me, uh, when we started to kind of na- focus on Bentancourt and Kulusevsky, I again saw this, uh, I again saw this pattern uh, where we were going for young, established leaders, whilst who were also not only, not only uh, fit into Conte's system, but were also had a couple of things that I heard Conte speak about. And this was when we started to see the to me, at least, you started to see the the direction of the club being uh, in harmony, where the coach would say, we need players that are physically adaptable to the Premier League, who are young, who are leaders, who have the mentality. And so Kulusevsky, looking at the injury record, looking at the, uh, their experiences, having won stuff, and looking at them having played for a big club, I, I started to see how Conte and uh, 
Paratici uh, would start to focus the direction of the club. And I would add to that, it just as much had to do with the players we uh, we let go on loan. Ndambele, the Celso, and letting Dele go. Being that ruthless and just fixing stuff, as the, the moment the coach said, this is what I want, to me was this, the beginning of uh, uh, seeing top four as a real possibility. Gareth? You've been patiently uh, waiting your turn here to to express uh, your thoughts on on all of this. Actually, we I, I, we might not even have included you in on what you thought of the much of the of the previous windows. So, so get get into the window shopping that was happening, and uh, and you know with focus on January, obviously. So with January, I, I guess we'll never know how close or how serious we were about signing Adama Traore, which was the first one, and then Diaz. I think a lot of people assume that by not getting them, anything else was second choice, and that it was a bit of a last minute shopping spree going back to your old club when we got um, Kuliseski and Bentancur in. I think what's interested me in in general is how under Paratici were shopping in a brand new market. So I did some research into this. So prior to Paratici joining, the last player that we signed from Serie A was Eric Lamella back in 2013. And in fact, prior to that, Iago Falco and Mido are the only other players that we've signed from Italian clubs. So under Paratici now, yeah. They are the only two. Is that true? Nicola Berti? Well, the the only other, the the only other one, well, certainly in Levy's or in Enoch's tenure of the club anyway. The only other one was Edgar Davids, who signed for us on a free and his most recent clubs prior to that mm. had been into Milan. So really it was a, it's a market that is largely untapped by by all clubs, but certainly by us, we just weren't looking to, to Italy to sign players. And albeit apart from Gallini being the only actual Italian player of the five that have come in, um, we are signing players from, from Italy. I just wonder whether that's part of the masterstroke in getting Paratici in is that it's opened up a brand new market for us and it's actually provided something of a competitive advantage. I've had a look back into um, in, into where other players from the Italian league have come into the club and there's been 34 that have come into England over the last six windows. A lot of those have gone to Watford and that's where they've gone from Udinese to Watford, which are all part of the uh, the, the Pozzi, Pozzo mm. family sort of consortium. Going and on. it is the pathway that springs to the mind of any uh, football lover, the one you've just articulated. Is, yeah. We think of that. It's a synonymous. I wonder how much this is luck. But if you look at the markets, they're very compatible because the Italian league is pretty physical, uh, but the, the players are pretty cheap. I mean, the standard of player is pretty high. And so getting an Italian director of football is probably, I, I don't think Levy is a genius to this level, but it's worked out great for us. And I'm starting to see other teams also look at Italy as a, as a market to bring in more players. And I think we've started that trend. Yeah, but I mean, we'll see this window whether that's something that other clubs do. I mean, it takes me back to, if I'm going back into sort of Premier League history, uh, when Wenger came in, that his competitive mm. advantage was he knew those particularly the French markets, very well. And that gave them a real competitive advantage. Looking back where we've shopped over the last few years, we've signed eight players from France in the last nine years, um, six from the from the Dutch leagues, five from Spain. And, and we actually signed more players from South America than we did from Italy beforehand. So so really interesting. I think that's where we're going with it. Milo, I want to ask you that just categorically, can you think of another window where we have nailed our needs so precisely. Uh, It shows to me that this director of football really understands 
everything about the play, not just the players we're bringing in, but the system they're going into. Because have there ever been two better January signings with regards to impact? I don't even think we need to break it down to just January. I think we can look at that, you know, the whole thing and you know, since he's come in, I think he's been pretty um, ruthless in you know getting rid of players that we don't need, but also you know signing the best available player for you know the positions where we're weakest, um, and signing players that um, that suit the manager. And um, and with you know Conte, it helps that they've worked together before. They clearly know each other. You know, he's familiar with how Conte wants to set his teams up. So, you know, I think that helps. And, you know, if you look at this summer, you know, of our priority positions before this window opened, we've only got one of them left to fill, possibly two if we're looking for another centre-back. Um, that's remarkable when you think the window's been open for, what, five five weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think in the transfer market so far, I think Paratici's done a, a remarkable job. You know, Simon's already touched on how the squad is younger. I think also if you look at the squad, we're big. You know, they're tall physical aggressive players on the whole um you know Sar and, and Hill will be the the um um exceptions to that if you look at Richarlison you know Kuti Basuma um Perisic uh Royale Benton Fraser Forster you know Fraser Forster you know big man big hands you know we're we're a far more kind of physically imposing team that's gonna be a lot harder to play against uh than we were a year ago. Look at those injury records. They're very healthy players. Mm. They never get injured. Yeah, I, th- I think if we're assessing how, how well Paratici has done, we've probably got to throw in two caveats here, which is that he's been given two sort of massive helping hands that his predecessors at Spurs haven't necessarily got. A, that he's got a world-class manager and a coach. And secondly, he's the first director of football that we've ever had who's been given licence to go and buy players before he's then had to go and sell them. Um now, whether that is that is himself managing up and him going to, to, to Levy in the board and saying, look, if you want this to work, this is how you've got to do it. It may very well be the case here. Um, but I think we also sh- do need to reflect on the fact that he's been dealt a better hand than some of his predecessors have. I think you very much brought us around uh, in a to the beginning of the conversation in the sense of I think that we're seeing the true fruition of Daniel Levy understanding what a director of football needs to be able to do in order to do their job properly and I think that it's a it's a perfect storm there so I do think it's a it's a very it's a combination of all those factors and maybe that has to do with that title that it's not director of football but it's manager managing director football I don't know the difference but it feels like he's gotten some powers that these other dudes didn't have, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably a pretty good segue into the next bit we were going to talk it about. It is, absolutely. Um, one of Paratici's strengths is meant to be in terms of his, his boardroom presence and, and telling um, the heads of clubs, you know, what they need to hear. And mm-hmm. so I think, um, you know, rather than, you know, I was thinking that Levy's seen the light or something like that, I think um, Paratici has been able to tell him what he needs to hear. And I think, you know, one of the criticisms we've levied, uh, we we've levied at Levy before is that he's had a habit of surrounding himself with people who tell him what he wants to hear. Um, and I think, you know, we're not in that position now. I mean, certainly Conte is not going to do that. I don't get the feeling that Paratici will either. We're, we're seeing the benefit of that. But I do get the impression, I think this is a very important element of Fabio Paratici's character that has really come to the fore uh, 
to my mind anyway, maybe not publicly, but he is able to communicate with people in a way that they hear him. And uh, uh, this is such an important point. I mean, I think Daniel needs to hear things in a certain way. And I think that Paratici has found that way to communicate. So uh, however it's worked, he, he is he has managed, as you say, to get Daniel's ear. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really important. And I wonder how much of that is down to... Um, you know what's been happening in, with the backroom team as well, uh, because there has been a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one was Steve Hitchens' resignation, which seemed to me uh, to herald a whole new, um, a whole new revolution of Paratici's relationship with both the club and Daniel Levy. Um, and just to add in before we get into that discussion, he's built his backroom team now. He's got Greta Steinson as a performance director, Andy Scalding as an assistant performance director, Simon Davies, not that Simon Davies, uh, but one that Milo was talking about a couple of weeks ago on the pod. So let's get into that, guys. How pivotal was Steve Hitchens' resignation in allowing Fabio Paratici to continue to develop the club um, and his relationship with Daniel? Well, I suppose what we won't know is whether Hitchin resigned because Paratici perhaps insisted or said, look, sorry, mate, there's not really a job here for you or not really a role for you within this team anymore. But yeah, I mean, Hitchin going has opened up the opportunity for you know, the members of staff that you just mentioned there to, to come into post and as a, as a group to fulfil those roles that, that Hitchin performed previously. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean Hitchin effectively took a demotion because I mean he was director of football effectively before Peratici came in. That must have been pretty disappointing for him. But it appears that you know he's he's worked constructively with Peratici. They appear to be getting on very well. Last summer, you know, he's been involved in that review that's uh, led to these new people coming in. Um, you know, maybe him stepping down after a period of time was always the plan. And um, you know, he's currently on gardening leave, but. Um, word is that there's plenty of clubs in in England and on the continent who are quite keen on taking him on once um, once that period's uh, um, expired. So the other thing is, I've just I mean, it's something we touched on last week, but it, it feels to me like we're kind of professionalising the whole setup now with um, you know, the performance director and um, uh, and team coming in. And it, it's one of the things that's interesting to me is that a lot of them have got uh, a background in analysis, uh, data analysis, and, and you know, and similar disciplines. It feels like a very, very you know, different setup to, to me. And you know, uh, over the last few years, a lot of our scouting and and data analysis has been outsourced. So it, I think it's encouraging that the club are, are, are insourcing it and and um, uh, and doing it in house because we'll be stronger for it. I feel like it's. It was probably part of the pitch Levy gave Paratici because I can't imagine he didn't have a couple of job offers, but he chose to come to Spurs and him having the opportunity to rebuild our football operations and, and getting a, a budget to do that and some freedom to do that was probably part of the deal. Now, I don't know if Hitchens was part of that plan or if and it, and it changed or if he was never part of that plan, but it feels like Levy... Uh, did give him some, um, give him that they had a plan when he started the job. And we're slowly seeing that plan being uh, uh, implemented. I think just to bring this first year look at uh, Fabio Paratici to a close, I think what we're all um, agreeing on here is that, you know, he has definitely streamlined many processes within the club. He's helped clarify our direction. He's helped clarify communications between the manager mm. and the chairman. And he's acted uh, efficiently and ruthlessly with a smile on his face. Nobody ever seems offended by him. Nobody's been bent out of shape 
by his behaviour, he even managed to skirt all that Italian nonsense with uh, payments or whatever. I mean, he got through that without with barely a whisper. Mm. I mean, he's been he's been masterful in his approach, and it just brings me to to ask each of you uh, to do what we must do if we're going to conclude this section, which is give him a mark out of ten for his first year at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Gareth marks out of ten for Fabio Paratici's fine work. Well, I'm giving him a nine out of ten for for the work he's done this year. He's ultimately got been responsible for getting us back into the Champions League places that we badly needed. We've got a world class manager, and we've got a much better balanced uh, and younger and ambitious squad. So on on that basis, yeah, he's he's done very well. Simon, I mean, I started out saying that he had the most consequential year ever, <laughs> so I'll have to give him a ten. I would like to say he's had it. 10 because he made the biggest decision the, the biggest decision he got right which was getting Conte in and to me it reminds me of this that everyone that's ever worked in a project or try to reach a goal need they need to have a clear idea of what they're doing and us having Conte and this clear system of playing have streamlined and clarified what we're doing how we're recruiting what we need to do behind the scenes with food, with structure, with recruiting, with analysis, with decision-making processes, and him being able to surround himself with the right type of people uh, has to be, uh, he has to get the 10 from me for being able to do that, because I think it's the most important thing. I'd give him 9 out of 10. I'm docking a point for Katuso. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the ruthless, and uh, I will round up by saying he's getting a ten and a half out of ten for me. He gets that extra half because I doubted him. Um, but in all seriousness, his ability to actually articulate our d- exact needs in that January window of pivotal. So, uh, and also, I love a man who can um, basically communicate with everyone so effortlessly, and he apparently has made that very easy. Um, so, congratulations to Fabio Paratici, and we have all benefited from that the team as we know jetted off to south korea this weekend and they will be playing a k-league all-stars team on wednesday and severe on saturday we will see eric lamella again once more i hope um let's take a look uh, at who we're expecting to feature in these uh the first two games of our of our season really this week i mean you know bear in mind that divine and scarlet have been left behind because they were at the u19s with england and uh i think there's been a couple of other players who are who are resting someone someone is ill who who was ill that we were surprised that didn't travel i'm spacing out right now rodon that's right joe rodon who was being talked of as one of fabio uh as one of antonio conti's um do i or don't i players but anyway who are we expecting to feature this week guys milo kick us off it's a big squad to choose from yeah i mean i think yeah, as always with this, we're going to see a lot of substitutions. We'll see a lot of fringe players playing. Um, I think it's interesting to say Josh Keeley, the young Irish keeper we signed uh, a week or so ago, has made the squad. Charlie Sayers, who's the left centre-back that we signed from South End uh, in January, is also part of the squad. Langley hasn't made the move because he signed too late to get a work permit. So, you know, maybe we'll see a bit of Sayers. Um, he, you know, he's a good player. You know, he played league football for Southend before joining us and has captained the academy a few times. So, um, he's probably one to watch. I wonder whether we might see during preseason a bit of um, trying out other formations. So, we, you know, we stuck pretty much to you know to three four three last season. I wonder whether we might see a bit more of three five two in preseason as an option. 
um, in which case it'll be interesting to see whether uh, Brian Hill or, or Saar get some opportunities um, as a kind of attacking midfielder in, in a three. I agree with you on Charlie, uh, if for no other reason than I just don't want to be a naysayer. Anyway, save us, Simon. Could be could get worse with the punnage otherwise. <laughs> I love the puns. I mean, I want to start out saying I'm so I'm so excited to see this team play together. And then I want to say um, my focus is solely on Sar, and uh, not solely, but I'm so excited to see him in this team. I have uh, I have a sneaking feeling that he might be at the club for this fall at least. I really want to see him play, uh, and then. Uh, I mean, just seeing Bisuma and Richardson in the starting lineup for Spurs is going to be incredible. Saar, I don't know if you've seen the photos of the squad over there. Saar looks tiny compared to everyone else. I mean, I know. It scares me. I, I, I'm wondering who he hangs out with. Do they do their buddy system? I mean, is Sess looking after him? Hoiberg? Yeah, I'm a little bit worried for my little guy, but uh, I'm still excited to see him play. There's 28 players that have travelled out there. I would imagine that at least 22 will be involved in the game on Wednesday uh, and then probably the rest of Amino, even if Brandon Austin and Josh Keeley get five or ten minutes at the end of one of those games. Um, the only thing I don't know of the 28 that have gone out there, obviously some of them are recovering from injuries. So that was, um, that was Doherty, Skip. Another one that's, that's come back with an injury, so I don't know what stage of their recovery they they're at. Perhaps they won't they won't feature in the first game. Possibly they'll wait. Perisic had an injury. Perisic, yeah, you're right. This is the third one. So whether those three or not will, will play, I don't know. You can you can be pretty sure that Sun is going to play a role in both games, can't you? Um, and otherwise, yeah, I think there'll be lots of rotations around there. Um, and you, you always see one of the younger players features at some point. You think, blimey, they look good, and that normally leads them on to getting quite a good loan move. Sonny's going to be skipper, isn't he? I mean, as as clear as day. I mean, if he's not skipper, I will I will eat a hat that I never wear, but I'll find one to eat. How's that? Um, for sure. He's going to be skipper. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see uh, Brian. I would have been interested to see Joe Rodon because I am of the feeling that uh, Conte really isn't sure what to do with him. He's off. You think he's off? He's you think off that I'm you think I'm getting a bit like sentimental Steph with it and like mm-hmm. soft Steph and like I need to be a little bit more surgical Milo here. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Let's see. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you because uh, evidence would certainly, you know, be in your favor. Brian Hill being out there is interesting. I do wonder if he sees him as some sort of retrievable uh, wingback type of player. I don't know. Um, It it seems wide of the mark to me, but he's on the plane. And as we've seen, if you're on the plane to South Korea, it means that the manager wants another look at you at the very least. That's what it tells me. Because the players he's left behind, they're, they're out. I think with it healed, it means that we're likely to loan him out rather than sell him. I think that's what okay. this tells us, um, sure. that he's in our long-term plans. I, d- I doubt he'll be part of our squad for the season because he just doesn't fit very well with what Conte wants. But yeah, I think I think it means that he's got a future at the club. One we haven't mentioned, it'll be interesting to see whether Troy, Troy Parent gets many minutes. Obviously, he had an excellent loan last season. Again, physically looks in, in great shape. We know that he's been you know, doing um, fitness training himself over the summer. And he might be one who can stake a claim, you know, maybe do the first half of the season a bit like Simon, you were saying with Saad, you know, do the first half of the season with the club and then maybe get a loan out for the second half of the season might mm-hmm. might be a possibility. The only thing against that, sorry, um, the only thing against that is I think we've only got one domestic cup game before the World Cup. So 
usually you've got a lot of cup games and what have you and that's not the case so that probably counts against having young players uh, hang around because they won't get as many opportunities interesting yeah well we will see and uh, we will all be watching if not uh, directly on Spurs play, I'm sure we'll be able to watch the replays because that's what they tell us you can. I certainly hope so because the games are on at four in the morning, my time. They are also, for our American listeners, are uh, available on CBS Sports. Um, it's going to be available live, apparently, for Americans who want to get up at four and seven a.m. or even six if you're central time. Uh, Milo, in, in the UK, is it only Spurs play? I think so, yeah. Spurs play it is for everybody else. So, you know, get onto it. It'll be worth seeing. It's exciting, as we've all agreed. Um, my words. The combinations are going to be tremendous. And it's, you know, it's a squad game this season. It's not just about the first 11. That much we must remember. So, chaps, thank you very much indeed. Just been a good one. Just Thank you very much. We'll be back next week to talk about our opening games of pre-season against Sevilla and the K-League All-Stars, as well as all the latest Spurs gossip and rumours. And if you've listened this far... <laughs> If you've listened this far before, comma, see, this is what throws me. We must have grammar. If you've listened this far before, comma, you know that we would like you to subscribe to the pod, comma, leave a review and tell your mates that we are great, full stop. If you haven't done that by now, comma, you need to have a look at your life choices, triple exclamation mark. We are not judging you. I am. But today is the day that you could start putting these things right, quadruple exclamation mark. Got it? subscribe now. As always, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.